Welcome to episode 85 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, it's about renting properties in Edmond. This is for you if you've looked into investing in the Edmond area, or maybe you're thinking about investing in the suburbs of Oklahoma City, and you want to know a little bit more about what it's like to rent in Edmond. From the middle of America, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show, covering local market data, news, and reports to arm you with information you need to empower your investing and strengthen your American rights. Top Realtor, investor, husband, father, and veteran. Here is your host, Landon Whit. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Before we get into that today, I want to talk about, again, the format changing on the show. I've discussed this with several listeners, and I've been wondering, now some of you already know, but I'm transitioning into a new brokerage, uh, working with Gordon Watson at Hamilwood Realty, who is number three in the state, on track to being number one in the state. So I've been recruited over to his team, where we are working on uh, sales, uh, really sales tactics, and just uh, some incredible stuff. And it's really kind of uh, made me so freaking busy that I can't focus as much time into the podcast. And I really worked really I thought about it a lot, and we looked at the figures a lot. And to be honest, if you just look at dollar for dollar, probably the podcast, at least the video portion of the podcast, isn't the best ROI. I have a lot of fun doing it, but it doesn't necessarily pay the bills. And that's why I've condensed the podcast back to its original form, which is the audio, which is what you're listening to now, wherever you are in the world. I had a meeting with a guy from Israel. If you're listening, hi. Thanks for the call uh, earlier this week. You were um, telling me that you're listening down the streets of Israel to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show to know more about your investments in Oklahoma City. That was cool to connect with you. You seem very happy about your uh, portfolio here in Oklahoma City and some recent decisions you've made to purchase a multi-unit here in Oklahoma City. So, North of Oklahoma City is a town called Edmond. And for many of you that uh, live in the suburbs, you understand what suburban life is like in the United States. And just a brief description is everything's clean, nice, all usually uniform with nice yards that are maintained and potentially sidewalks and generally good school districts and away from the hustle and bustle of the urban dwellership. That's the benefit of the suburban life. You've got kids can play in the yard, the cars are driving relatively slower than they are downtown, and you've got kind of a getaway where you can have usually larger square foot for cheaper prices. That somewhat plays out here in Oklahoma City, where downtown Oklahoma City is 
historic 1920s, 1930s, and and close to downtown, and generally about $130 a square foot and rising. And then as we go out from the center of Oklahoma City, we go from the 1920s, 1930s, and 1940s, 1950s, and then we get out to that uh, turnpike or, or the beltway, and we start to enter 1980. Okay, And the reason for that is because Oklahoma City was formed basically overnight during the land rush. Uh, There's a great Tom Cruise movie about the land rush. I forget what it's called, but it was a a government plan to overnight bring residents into Oklahoma City. It was mainly, or into Oklahoma, the state in general, and it was mainly Indian territory, and then they decided we've got to bring in more Americans to colonize, and that'll help us to retain this part of the country from Indians resettling as well as uh, get more taxation out of the property. So they gave everybody these tracts of, I think it was 130-acre tracts of land here in Oklahoma. They said, but they didn't just give it away. They said, everybody's going to line up, okay, on one particular day. I think it was 1887, somewhere in there. I don't know. Some of you Okie buffs know exactly the date. They're lining up, and the government blew the cannon, and everybody went running to find their lot, their 130-acre lot for free, and that became the start of Oklahoma. And one of those 130-acre lots became larger, 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 and became Oklahoma City. And those were uh, land developers that had, some of them, come from overseas for this land grab and had come here and, and settled, and some of them began creating the towns the next day. And as the towns developed and as technology got better, we had railroad tracks coming through the United States and heading out west. And part of that adventure out west was Oklahoma, which is still to this day the crossroads of America with things like Interstate I-35 going north and south, Interstate I-40 going east and west, passing right through Oklahoma City, and also I-44 going southwest and northeast. So you have these three major interstates combining in Oklahoma City now. But in the 1900s and late 1800s, there wasn't these interstates. Nobody had cars like this, but we did have something called a train. Okay, So the train came all the way into the towns, and one of the towns was called Guthrie. And if you look at your map, if you're savvy of the area, that's going to be north of Oklahoma City, a little town called Guthrie. Guthrie nice train station the next train stop depending on the engines of the time could run without going out of diesel and gas and they could go to the next town and the next town was Edmond and next town from Edmond was Oklahoma City and so these towns developed along these railroad-oriented uh, uh, towns and because and, and, they could refuel and they could take on passengers and people could travel and they could bring supplies. And that's what started these towns and they were began out of the trains. So for those that have never invested in Oklahoma City or never lived in Oklahoma City, you probably invested in Oklahoma City, but you may, may not know uh, that there's trains here. There's quite a bit of trains. In fact, the Santa Fe line is really big here still. And in Edmond, 
that station is still, they drive through the town and they blow their horns quite a bit, which is uh, when I lived there for a brief time, about a year and a half, we had a condo up there and uh, we heard the train. It was definitely, you knew you were in Edmond. So why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because you need to understand the atmosphere of a place that you invest in. Usually when you invest in a place, you don't just buy one home, right? You buy many homes because if you have a property manager or even yourself managing property, the scale of which you own makes it cheaper to own because you can have the same repair guy repairing multiple properties. You can also usually get a better deal and better treatment by a property management company if you own multiple properties in a market, okay? So usually the number is at least three. Okay, most people buy at least three in a city, and then if they want to diversify, they can at that point. But we've got guys that own 120 properties just in one town with one property manager, and they find it nice because our market is a linear market. There's three different market types there's a cyclical market, linear market, and a hybrid, which is a mix between the two. And we're going to start seeing that develop even more now that we're post-COVID society. We'll see that hybrid uh, cyclical markets within linear markets start to develop. But so when we talk about investing, a lot of people will see Oklahoma City and go, gosh, it looks like garbage. And in some cases it does. It, 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 it reeks on some streets like Detroit. If any of you have been to Detroit, you see the rundown frame homes with uh, wood that maybe is rotting and maybe a roof or two that has a tarp on it and a fantastic late model 1980 or 1992 Oldsmobiles with one, you know, hubcap still on them parked in the front yard with another four cars that nobody knows who they belong to. That's pretty typical of a lot of streets in Oklahoma City. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about an $80,000 rental, $60,000 rental, maybe $120,000 rental. That's that metric of that area. But then when we get up to Edmond, we start to feel that wonderful feeling of the suburbs. And it's very appealing to investors that like to say, let's say you've had a discussion between your spouse and yourself and you go, you know, we never want to invest in anything that we wouldn't live in. This is where Edmond comes into play. Edmond, Yukon, Moore, this is that feeling of the suburb investing. So looking at the prices of rentals, you might say, well, what are these rent for? How's What's the ROI? And I need to know all these numbers now. And you could probably just watch another show, or maybe you couldn't. And you couldn't because Oklahoma City and Edmond don't work like a big city like San Diego and Seattle and New York. And for those that are listening and your brain's starting to spin right now, you're going, what are you talking about, Landon? Buckle your seatbelt because this is the intelligent hour. I've done hundreds of deals, walked through hundreds of houses a year, and I've started thinking about these things, and I wanted to talk to them, talk to you guys about these, because I think they're profound, and they're going to start discussions. But when we talk about rent value, 
most people go on the rent-a-meter, rent cafe, and they try to figure out what the average rent is for a market or if the rent's been going up or is it going down or what's happening. And those metrics, if you look, are usually based on a one-bedroom. Why are they based on one-bedroom? That doesn't make any sense where they're talking about the suburbs. You can't even find one bedrooms anywhere. Well, that's because they're talking about apartment complexes. So your average apartment complex, if you go on Rent-A-Meter or, you know, uh, Rent Cafe, will tell you Edmund one-bedroom apartments are $980 median, uh, and it's about 900 square foot. So uh, then you get this metric and you go, okay, gotcha. $900 is one bedroom. And then you come up with all these plans of what that means for a three-bedroom single-family home, and none of it makes sense, okay, at all. Zero, nidly. Then you look at you go. Well, let me talk to a realtor. The realtor, all they may know is what they've personally rented in the past, what their property management company's been able to pull off, and maybe they're savvy enough that they go into the MLS and they look at the MLS listings. Oklahoma City. Edmond and the rest, and many, many other towns. This is education you can take a lot of places in the Midwest, and really anybody outside of these bigger cities. Realtors don't show rental properties in small towns. You might make $125, maybe, signing a rental property deal in these towns. So as a real estate agent that pays hundreds of dollars a year to maintain their license and about $1,500 a year just to be a member of the MLS, which is the multiple service listing where you get all the listings, you put them in there, okay? So you have hundreds of dollars, almost thousand, a couple thousand dollars, and you're going to go show tenants that are going to want to look at six, seven different properties before they decide, and you're going to drive around, you're going to send them all the searches, you're going to go find these tenants, spend money finding these tenants, and then you're going to get $125. Eh. <laughs> Not happening. So it doesn't. It doesn't happen. So our MLS numbers for rent, which is what CoreLogic is using, okay, CoreLogic being the big appraiser boys that come up with the what your value of your property is worth, when they go give you a cost value analysis appraisal on your multiplex and the bank comes up with this magical number that your portfolio is now worth, they're taking the data out of the MLS. And the MLS data is coming from realtors that have listed it and maybe syndicated it to Zillow. And now they've marked that it's come off the market. And in a lot of cases, they mark what it came off renting by. For example, in Edmond, there was 38 listings in the last 90 days that went under contract out of, I think, 56. No, 56 total, okay, 56 that are that have, have gone under contract within the last, I think I did 30 days on this. No, 60 days. And the median, $1,495 a month. $1,495 a month median rent. And the median days on market was 18 in Edmond. $1,495 a month 
That's 18 days on the market. Now, when I email property managers and I say, I emailed Robin, I think she's with Thunder, Thunder Realty, something like that. Hey, Robin, how hard is it to rent a property in Edmond from $1,200 to $1,600 a month? And she says, well, if it's real nice, I think I could get it rented. <clears throat> and that's about what you get when you're trying to run the market in a smaller town. And what I mean by smaller town is, is under a million people, okay? Under a million people is, is, is a small cap town. Um, so under a million, we're like 650,000 in Oklahoma City, and then Edmond is like a fraction of that, okay? Interesting metric in Edmond, let's throw this in here. 25% of Edmond is renters, whereas almost 50%, I think it's over 50% now, in Oklahoma City. So we have one out of every four in Edmond are renters, and three out of every four are owners. When we look at the way that plays out for your appreciation, it actually plays out to about 3.5% annual appreciation in Edmond. So why am I dragging you guys through all this? I'm dragging you through all this because the next logical step to find out what the heck is my investment going to rent for other than calling a property manager and just trusting that they know what's going on because they've rented enough of them over the years, you go to Zillow and you say, what's on the market already? How long have they been on the market? And let me guess what they possibly could have rented for. And for example, what I do is I look and I go, this property is listed for $1,800 a month and has been on the market for 85 days. Probably not priced correctly. At $1,800 a month, 85 days on the market, that's too high. I look at the pictures, I look what's going on, look at the amenities, I look at the area, and I go, if I had a property next door to this one, chances are I probably couldn't rent it for $1,800 a month. There you go. Enter in the mindset of the tenant now. Now, many of you own, you know, I don't know, five properties, 10 properties. Maybe you, you're you getting ready to buy your first one and you're like, man, dude, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make $125 a month off this rental for the rest of my life, man. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get this. And first, most, a lot of the guys think that they're going to burr, do the burr method, buy, rent, rehab, rent whatever and do it again right that's where you buy a property in a distressed state and you renovate it yourself and you uh, refinance it after you've rented it out and then you pull all your cash or most of your cash back out and then you're able to do it again okay that is considered a real estate professional that's not a real estate investor that is a real estate professional that's because you've taken time and you're investing that time into your new job, which is real estate job, okay? Real estate investor uses cash to put into a real estate investment and watches it grow. Real estate professional spends many hours a year looking, searching, analyzing deals, finding contractors, managing rehabs, getting cash, and when they make money off that rental property, it's because they worked hard to do it. 
rental property investor, real estate professional. Okay. Doesn't mean you're a realtor. It means that you're a real estate professional. That's what you're doing. When somebody says I'm a real estate investor and I flip homes for a living nine times out of 10, you're not a real estate investor. You are a real estate professional working in the real estate world. You and I could sit down and probably have a great talk about market values, about what's going on down the street with this new construction in town. You would be a real estate professional. And if you looked at the amount of hours, honestly, that you spend on your real estate activities, you would be paid like a real estate professional. That's what you're doing. And that's okay. But that's what you're doing. You want to make sure you're calling that what it is. Okay. And some of you enjoy real estate investing. And some of you enjoy being a real estate professional. I've got some friends in Dallas that love real estate. They love looking into properties. They love talking about these things. And there's a lot of exciting things about this, but call it what it is. Okay. Let me get back on track here. Where are we at? I've been talking for 20 minutes. All right. Hang with me. Some of you've got about six minutes left on your commute, especially my, my Baltimore guys. You're on a train. I appreciate you listening on the train. Um, I think you're three feet still from, from the passengers next to you with your, some of you have the new Apple AirPod pros. I just got those this last week from a good recommendation. The noise canceling headphones are fantastic. So if you're on a plane right now, listening, turn on that noise canceling feature with the air air Apple, uh, AirPod pros. Okay. So I'm just going through real quick on the Edmund back to the Edmund again for Edmund investors. You've, you've clicked this because you want to hear about Edmund. I get it. I, that's what I told Joe's going to talk about. And we've been talking about Edmund six listings under that. We talked about the 1470, $1,475 a month, right? $1,475 a month is the median rent. Okay. You know, the 1% rule rent to value ratio tells you that you need to buy for at least 145,000 or less to be able to rent at 1475 and make money. Okay. The 1% rent to value ratio, $100,000 house needs to rent for $1,000 a month. 1%. Ideally 1.3. When this whole thing got started and it was not quite cool to invest in real estate, 2%, 2%, 2% was an unusual. My uncle-in-law, 90 properties paid off. Many of his properties have been paid off by the tenants dozens of times since the 1990s because of the way this was not popular. There weren't investment vehicles. It wasn't talked about to the degree it's talked about today. So now it's changed 1%, maybe 1.1, 1.2. If you're lucky, 1.3. If you're smart, 1.3. So we got six listings on the market under 160 in Edmond. Six. Days on market, the median is 25. The list price per square foot coming in 104 selling at right at 104 coming out to a median of 164,900 so median rent 
$1,475, median purchase price $165,000. Makes a lot of sense now why Edmund is 75% owner-occupied and 25% investor-owned. You have a one, basically, let's just say this. You have a 25% chance of getting a rental property compared to Oklahoma City, where you have a 50% better chance of getting a rental property. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying that to get good returns, Edmund is often a difficult choice. In fact, many of the rental properties that are in Edmund are a byproduct of people like military individuals that have bought a home and they had the idea to rent the property out after they left. And so that's what they did. They lived there for four years. They paid down the the mortgage payment enough to where they maybe could refinance out of their VA loan or something into something that had a low enough payment to where they could rent it out and make $150 a month and still have somebody else pay the mortgage. And that's great as long as you can maintain the property. So that's my recap on Edmund. For those that are just interested in the Edmund, you are done. You can leave. You can go on. You can watch next week or listen next week to episode 86. We'll talk about a different region in Oklahoma City. But for those that are still hanging in there, I want to talk just a little bit more about that mindset again for the tenant. Recently took a tour of a duplex property right just west or east of Wiley Post Airport. And for the listener that's the investor that knows what property I'm talking about, some interesting things we talked about during the sale or the supposed sale of that property, but we ended up pulling the plug on this property due to one thing that's not talked about on the biggerpockets.com website and really any investor website just not really discussed and that is you buy a bunch of properties and you're making money off of them and then you become a slumlord slowly but surely in due time and how does that happen well $150 a month, remember, is what you're making off the door. You've only got two, three, maybe four, maybe five of these. And over time, your property management company wants to be good to you and make sure that you have low maintenance expenses because you've communicated to them that, you know, come on, guys, like, I'm just going to... I'm just going to put duct tape on it every time a problem happens, you know, uh, something happens and you go, well, see if we can get another couple of years out of that, you know, plumbing pipe or that, or that sewer line that's been backing up every quarter. I've got to, you know, run a rotor rooter in it. And, you know, the daggum tenant would stop flushing baby wipes. Everything would be fine and keep kind of putting off that sewer line and keep kind of putting off that uh, air conditioner duct work that's not quite working right and we keep kind of putting those things off and eventually they start kind of snowballing and one or two things happen one the tenant slowly but surely starts degrading their quality of life and I've seen this play out very common with the portfolios that are in the 120, 180, 300 properties that you own. And I tour through their portfolios for CEOs of large companies. And I look and I go, 
hmm, and the tenant tells me, hey, this pipe that's been leaking above my living room, and I just put a bowl underneath it, and I just watch the, you know, when the bowl fills up, you know, I just dump it out into the toilet, and then put it back there, and it's been, it's not been too bad, I mean, if you want to fix it, that'd be great, and they've just slowly gotten used to worse and worse life, okay, very similar, and, and mind you, I'm an investor myself. So for those that are going, man, this guy's just, just nailing us. No, I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm taking you down the road of the reality of some of the people that you might think that you're competing with, but you're not competing with because they're not actually even playing the game. They are just existing in a world which really is not even a world. It is a state of existence that says, Cash flow is all that I ever think about, and that's going to be what I think about. But what that's doing is setting up a perpetual fail for potentially their kids. Now, we sell a lot of portfolios that when you have these nice homes and then they degrade over time, we call it deferred maintenance, and then the kids inherit the home after grandpa dies, and in his mind, he's had this whole fantasy world that I'm going to leave the properties to my kids, and my kids will never have to work, they'll just be able to pursue their passions, and the kids get a hold of the portfolios, and somewhere along the line, the reality hits when they go to sell it that whoa, it doesn't even qualify for a bank loan. So now I have to sell it to a cash investor for a fraction of the cost. And now I'm faced with all these words like your portfolio is a liability to me. And now I've realized that the taxes that I've got to pay are much higher than I thought. So going back to the tenant, we've got just about three minutes left to talk about this, but the tenants in there, the bowls sitting in the living room, the water's dripping under the bowl, and he's saying it's fine. He just has to get a new bowl. And what are we able to do next? Raise the rent. You say, what? How in the world could you raise the rent on this guy? Well, property insurance has actually still been going up. Why? because the value of the area has been going up, which means the county has assessed your property as worth more than it was potentially last year or two years before. So now your taxes have gone up. Your taxes have gone up. The cost to replace similar construction has gone up because the, the, the labor costs have gone up. With inflation, the, the wood has gone up. So now your insurance goes up. And now you have to tell them that their rent is going up because in order to make the same amount, you have to account for that. So you go ahead and you raise the rent and maybe even a little bit more than that, but typically about 3% annually is what you need to be raising your rent by to keep up with these costs of doing business, the cost of inflation, the cost of the insurance increases. If you're in Texas, it's even more with some of their crazy taxes. So now you've raised the rent on the guy with the bowl sitting in his living room and it's filling full of water. He's getting ready to take the bowl out again and, and the rent raises. And he's like, man, my, that sucks. And he talks to this buddy at Petco right, where he works, Petco the pet store. We've all been there. Actually, I worked there when I was in high school. I was aquatic tech. And so I'm in Petco and I'm working and I'm talking to my friend there and I'm going, man, dude, my rent's raising again. And he goes, man, dude, that sucks. 
can you help me lift this dog food? And they pick the bag up together and they carry the dog food out and that's it. It's all that's talked about. He goes back home, goes to his place. He goes, man, it sucks to move. Looks into a couple of places on Zillow, sees, oh man, this thing's worth this much, da 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 da, blah, blah, blah. Man, I could I could be in that nicer place, but then I'd have to move, then I'd have to whatever. And he ends up staying there. And if you're on government assistance, it's even worse. Now, government assistance requires inspections, but not always. And some of the inspections aren't that intense. So now we've played out the situation in which a property management company has leveraged a situation in which the tenant stays there for 8, 9, 10, 12 years. The, the rent keeps increasing up. And now he's getting... a month and the property value has been going up and now he's like daggum at this property on Zillow. Zestimate says it's worth $175,000. I've just been so tired of getting my $150 a month. I'm going to cash out and get myself my $60,000 equity and I'm going to go to Playa del Carmen and I'm going to get on one of these cruise ships and I'm going to relax in the sun watching the pretty girls on the treadmill. And you put it on the market. $175,000. Rents for $1,300 a month. Doesn't sell. Doesn't move. What's going on? I don't know. Finally, someone puts in an offer at one fifty-five. I'm going to accept the offer. That's fine. I'll take it. But I'm not fixing anything at all. You're going to have to accept it the way it is. Realtor comes along, has the offer. Bada bing. This works for this investor. I'm going to put in an offer. The offer goes through and then the person walks through the property Maybe they even bring an inspector with them and the laundry list goes on and goes on and goes on. And you get the picture. You get the idea here. Now we're back to 145 purchase price. By the time the repairs get going on, you purchased for 120 was it? I don't know, 10 years ago. And now you got to pay the brokerage fees and capital gains potentially and now what did you make you made $150 a month for nine years and you sold for $10,000 that and all along all the way along by the way Mr. Bull Dripping um, has lived in um, a slum that's what we deal with (laughs) on these portfolio sell-offs by the 60-something investor that has had the portfolios for the last 10, 15 years. What what am I saying this all for? I'm not saying this because I, I think that government regulation is needed, okay? I don't really believe that's the route of it. But I do believe that there's a correct communication behind Fixing things about your home and your tenant's home that will maintain the value of the home. If you have hail damage on your roof and you get an insurance claim and they mail you a check 
That's not free money. That is a check to repair the roof on your home. Simple as that. Take care of the asset. That way, when you look at the appreciation numbers, they will be accurate. And in the meantime, if Mr. Bull dies of a mold case and just so happens to be that his sister is a high-powered attorney that never visited her brother but had a midlife crisis and had to fly back to Oklahoma City because her brother mysteriously dies. She goes walking through his house to collect his items and sees the way he's been living. That's correct. You, my friend, are right before the judge with high-definition pictures of every property you have and the state that you've allowed your tenants to live in. Now, Oklahoma, landlord-friendly state. This scenario is going to be very difficult for the attorney to win in. California, you are dead. Other states that are not landlord-friendly, you're dead. Now, am I saying you can get away with murder in this state? No. Well, sometimes, yeah. I think there was a police officer last night that was arresting somebody. And somehow the guy that he was handcuffing fell off a bridge and he died. Somehow in the scuffle of handcuffing the criminal, over the bridge he goes. Splatting onto Meridian and I-40. I think I saw that earlier today. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, anyways, I digress. All of that is to awaken our brain into the thought and process of our investments so that we're thinking clearly on supply and demand. If you have a good property manager that understands the rental market, that understands the dynamics of the tenants, you, my friend, will be in good luck and good place because you can begin raising the rent because, again, the quality of life of most people is an attitude-dependent topic. It's completely dependent on attitudes. If I think my life is getting worse, it makes sense for my rent to go up and my property to not get any nicer. That's just in the mindset of the way that my life already is not any different. And that's the way these portfolios have played out for eons. Guys, this is nothing new. This is ancient Rome stuff where they were made out of concrete and they just they lived in there and they were sharecroppers and the deals got worse. They didn't get better. They got worse over time because of the attitude and mindset of the indentured servant. Why in the world is a slave? Would you stay a slave in America where there's thousands of acres of land and as far as the eye can see in the early 1800s, you can, you can run forever in the land of the free. And back in those times, 
Yes, the wilderness was wild. Yes, there was crazy stuff going on, but there was food. Native Americans at the same time, in some cases, were still living naturally off the land. And yet the slave is there slaving with no chains on, on a land, making food for his owner because his mind was held captive. Do you get what I'm saying? You understand why you can raise your rent 3% annually without even thinking. And it's the same thing for you as an investor. You, my friend, can build your portfolio worse and worse every day if you allow it. Or you can create a scenario in which you have that freedom you truly want. I leave you with the song by Kenny Chesney. And I don't even know if I can play this on the airwaves. But if Kenny, you're out there, I think you're going to give me a free pass on this one. Folks, Kenny Chesney, leaving you today with one of my favorite songs of his that speaks to exactly this gobblegum of a scenario I've presented. It was early one morning, Playa del Carmen. That's when I first met Jose. He had a 12-foot schooner and a 3-foot cooler full of a catch of the day. He was wrinkled from grinning from all the sun he had been in. He was barefoot, surveying hand. He said, Gracias, senor, when I paid him too much for all of the snapper he had. I told him, my friend, it ain't nothing. In the best broken Spanish I knew. I said I'd make a good living back home where I'm from He smiled and said to me, go me too He said I fish and I play my guitar I laugh at the bar with my friends I go home to my wife I pray every night I can do it all over Somewhere over Texas I thought of my Lexus And all the stuff I work so hard for And all the things that I've gathered From climbing that ladder Didn't make much sense anymore They say my nest egg ain't ready to hatch yet They keep holding my feet to the fire they call it paying the price so that one day in life I'll have what I need to retire Just fish and play my guitar And laugh at the bar with my friends Go home to my wife and pray every night I can do it all over again 
information and to listen or watch online visit okcrealestateshow.com